Praise the Lord, everybody. Welcome back to the Biblos Network. We are so glad you've come. We're honored that you've taken this time to, to join in with us today to talk about the good things of God. I want to give a special thank you to those that have contacted me through email, through Instagram, through Facebook. Some have even gone so far as to contact uh, my secretaries and have left messages here at the church and just you've expressed your appreciation and your love and your support for Biblos. We are so grateful. We're so grateful for, for your taking the time to be a part of the Biblos family. So to the bibliophiles and the theophili, we are so excited to be working with you. It is a great day to love the word of God, to plumb the depths of the word of God. And if you want to be a part and you want to help support, you can go to thebiblosnetwork.org, thebiblosnetwork.org. And there we have mugs, we have tumblers, we have sweatshirts, all of it high quality. We have a creative team that puts it together. Um, it's not ironed on graphics. It's stitched, hand-stitched graphics. And um, maybe not hand-stitched. Maybe they do it with a machine. I don't know. <laughs> but they pick out a, a, a great selection. They've picked out a great selection for you. And um, so many people have ordered them. Orders are going out every single week. It does go to help support the Biblos Network and our mission. And um, I'll just tell you, I am excited about the next couple of months. We have some big, big things to announce when the time is right. We are partnering with several apostolic groups. We're promoting books. And I just can't wait. I can't wait to, um, to talk with you guys some more about it. So today, let's launch into something that's been on my heart. There is... A godly insight, a, a spiritual and a scriptural awareness that comes upon people when they search for the things of God, when they listen for the voice of God. Jesus said that my sheep, they hear my voice, they will not go to another. And I want to hear his voice. And so the Bible says that we are to have eyes to see. We are to have ears to hear. And I will say that the prophet Isaiah described what he called a spirit of slumber. And he said, having eyes, they, they do not see. Having ears, they do not hear. It's another way of saying that we are carnal, carnally minded. We have carnal sight and carnal hearing only attuned to the things of men. And when Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan, the reason was interesting. It was because thou savorest the things that be of men, not the things that be of God. So it wasn't just overt wickedness. It was a desire for the flesh. To, to get its way and to be satiated. So the eyes of the spirit, the ears of the spirit, 
they are attuned to the things of God. One place the, the, the apostle called it having the eyes of your understanding opened. So one of the goals that we have here at Biblos is to help people open the eyes of their understanding. So with that in mind, I want to I want to share a tactic that Satan uses. He uses the wicked, he uses the world to seduce, to entice. Paul described to Timothy that in the last days that people would not endure sound doctrine, but they would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They would turn away their ears from the truth. They would be turned into fables. That they would give heed to seducing spirits. It uses that phrase, seducing spirits. It's an interesting term. And then he described it as doctrines of devils. So I'm going to give you a little view to one of the tactics that Satan uses. There's a portion of scripture in John the Baptist's life where it's recorded how he died. The way John the Baptist died is a very um, ignominious death. It's, it's, a, it's a very anticlimactic death. For someone that is, was so greatly used of God, Jesus said no greater prophet born of a woman than John the Baptist in the Old Testament context, meaning greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than Jeremiah or Isaiah. The Bible says that there was no greater prophet born of a woman than John the Baptist. And we read of no great miracle. We read of no, no book that he wrote. But Jesus gave him high honor. And the way he died was, was stunning. First of all, he was so powerful in his administration that people confused him for the Messiah. He spoke with such authority. He spoke with such gravitas and anointing. And the day came when Herod took his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. He just took her from him. I believe he, his brother was the ruler of a minor portion of Israel and did not have the stature and the social capital, just the sheer power of, of the kingship Herod did. And so he, he takes Herod, he takes Philip's wife, Herodias, as his wife. Herod does this. And when he does, John the Baptist confronts him and, and says, it is not lawful for you to take her as your wife. And Philip, or rather Herod, he has betrayed Philip and he has taken Herodias, but he fears John. He knows that the people consider him a prophet. He himself considers John to be a prophet. And he's considering what to do. He's, he's vacillating. He's, he's conflicted. And John, John pulls no punches. I mean, this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is the one that prepared the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is the one who comes in the spirit and the might of Elias. And he doesn't quail before political power, but he stands firm and he tells Herod, you cannot have her as your 
wife. That's a hard place to be, to, to contend for truth when it is unpopular, when powerful people want what they want. Many people will go along to get along. Many people will do what is politically expedient and they will, they will rationalize and they will find a reason to, to go with the flow. John did not. He stood firm, come what may. And Herodias hated him for it. He was standing in the way. Who do you think you are to stand in the way of my ambitions, to stand in the way of my dreams? I've dreamed for this. She is the original gold digger. She is there to get what she can while she can. And... The day comes when Herod holds a great feast and there in a drunken state, Herodias brings her daughter before Herod and she dances. And when it says that she dances, this is not a, this is not a family friendly moment. This is a very lewd thing. It's a very debauched thing. It's very wicked. The whole thing is spawned in wickedness. And Herod is so enamored. He's so um, entranced by this, this girl that he says to her, ask what you will and I will give you anything you want up to the half of my kingdom and so the girl goes back to her mother. Now, this was the mother's plan all along was to seduce. And this, this seduction is what I'm talking about, the seducing spirits. I'm going to explain what I mean here shortly. But she goes back to her, her mother and she says to the mother, what will I ask? And the mother said, I want John the Baptist's head on a charger. And when the girl brings back the request, I want kill John. I want his head. Herod is sorry. He, he, he holds that John is a prophet, but his, his ego and his unwillingness to look bad in front of his friends. Now that the request has been made known, he can't go back on his word. He reluctantly orders John killed like the coward that he is. He sends the executioner. The executioner does the vile act and John dies a terrible death, terrible in our eyes, but God was taking John. He was taking him home. He was saving John and removing John from the equation so that Jesus Christ could enter into the preeminence of his role. Literally, when John said, he must increase, but I must decrease, I don't know that he knew how powerful those words would prove to be. And she brings the head of the great prophet it's a grisly, macabre scene. And I just see them taking the lid off of that charger and showing the wicked woman, the wicked queen, the fruits of her ill-gotten request. And John dies. Now, there's many things I could talk about here, um, but... But what I want to talk about is John's discernment, his eyes, his ears. He was so attuned to the voice of God that he was able to see through Herodias' daughter's dance. 
And so that's what I'm going to entitle this episode, I'm Not Impressed with the Dance. I'm not impressed. Not impressed. I'm, I'm impressed with the things of God. I'm impressed with eternity. I'm impressed with the scripture, but I'm not impressed with the temporary moment, the flash in the pan, the, the sparkle and the glitz of this world. There's an old song that comes to my mind when I say that. He's offered everything that's got a name, all the wealth I want and worldly fame. But if I would still, but if I could still, I wouldn't take nothing from a journey now. I believe that's how it goes. I want to point out what happens here because John's his refusal to move off of the truth to stand against all opposition is a very scriptural dynamic. Every apostle dies this terrible death with the exception of one. If history is right, they die terrible deaths. Our master, our Lord Jesus Christ dies the most cruel and painful death that a person can die. The prophets, most of them died and were martyred. Great Christians in the early church were martyred. They paid a price because they would not recant. They would not yield. But they, they, the Bible says in Hebrews, they loved not their lives to the death. And they wandered in caves and in dens and sheepskin and goatskin, destitute and afflicted. And uh, the Bible says, of whom the world was not worthy. So to plant your feet and to, to love truth even at the expense of one's own life. When they came to Jesus and asked him about, about John, he said, what did you go out to see? Did you go to see people clothed in soft raiment? Did you go to see a reed shaken in the wind? Literally, the reed shaken in the wind is, is metaphoric of, of a political opportunist, one who sees which way which way the wind is blowing. They lick their finger, they stick it in the air just to see which way we're going to answer the question, but that's far from what John was. And he was not clothed in, in, in soft raiment. He was not in the king's court. He was in the desert. He was in a rough garment. He eats locusts. He eats wild honey. And he was the greatest prophet born of a woman. Notice the tactic here. This is what I want to highlight. It is that the mother, in order to seduce Herod and his entourage, his, the courtesans who give homage to him in his throne room, the yes-men, the, the foppish people who prance around him and try to curry favor and are the very epitome of, of sycophantic people this this scene is is one that john walks right into the middle of it and speaks truth even though he's hated for it so herod sends her daughter herodias sends her daughter herodias herself can't get the job done so she sends her daughter this is a very powerful image it's one that was used to seduce the king 
And Satan will use the same tactic on us. Let me show you how religion did it. There is a mother. She is the Herodias of our day. We'll call her the Roman church. We'll leave it at that so we don't hurt people's feelings. I, I'm not speaking against people, but I am speaking against doctrines and ideologies. That Rome, Roman church that, that came to seduce the minds and the hearts of people, probably one of the original seducing spirits and doctrines of devils is the Trinity. And I've spoken about it extensively. And there's people get very angry about it. But it is the truth. It is not in the scripture. The apostles did not know that doctrine. And so mother, the mother appears in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. And I'm not speaking of a physical woman now. I'm speaking of, of a, a spiritual entity. So we're not talking about a physical woman. We're talking about a spiritual woman. If you want to know more about that, I did an episode called You're Mad at the Wrong Woman. This woman is the false bride. She is the false covenant people. And she goes to seduce the minds and the hearts of the people. But there's got to be someone willing to see through what she's doing, see through the unscriptural terminology, see through the relics and the traditions and the, the rituals and all of the, the smoke and mirrors. You have to have eyes to see through that, ears to hear the true word of God. John saw through Herodias' scheme and the daughter's dance. And we have to do that with religion. We have to see through that mother and her daughters. So when Herodias finds that she is not able to withstand John and his scrutiny. She sends forth the daughter and she dances. So what I'm telling you now on a cosmic scale is that that Roman church sends forth her daughters. We'll call them denomination. And she spins them off and they dance and they dance and they dance. And it's designed to blind the minds of men and women blind their hearts and these daughters of that mother they dance they dance with their different doctrines and their different ideologies and they did so down throughout history the protestant movements the reformed groups that came out of that roman church this is the the different denominations that formed from men who stood up and each with their brand of Christianity, all competing ideologies, all fighting and jostling with one another and arguing over the minutia of the particular doctrines that they were contending for, but all united in that they all come from the mother and they dance and they hate truth. They hate the people of the name of Jesus. They hate the real bride. They hate the men and women that can see through the dance. Hmm. And all throughout history, when, when one begins to lose their allure and their ability to seduce, then another daughter comes. And so we go from 
the different groups that emerge from it. I don't want to call names, but it's the denominations that you know today that are on every street corner. Most of them are dying now. They're dying because they deny the power of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They are of the spirit of Antichrist. They deny the Father and the Son. And they deny baptism in Jesus' name. They deny the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They deny living holy and separate. They deny the oneness of God. And they all have the same genetic trait of the doctrine of the Trinity. They have that same trait because they all come from the same mother. Herodias and her daughters hold the populace spellbound. And there the drunk king looks on. He doesn't see beneath the surface. He doesn't take the time to see what's really happening, that this is a contest for the truth. This is a war over what is true and what is right and what is godly and what is not. Herod kills John. It's very interesting that later when Jesus appears, Herod wants to see a miracle. He, he wants Pilate to send him over so that he can treat Jesus like a, like a circus animal, like a carnival act. Raise somebody from the dead. Heal somebody. I've heard so many amazing things. Let me see something really, really neat, really cool. Do something. Jesus, the Bible says, he answered him not a word. You got to know when you aren't to cast your pearls before swine. And sometimes no answer is the answer. Silence is the answer. There have been times in my life where I knew that people didn't care about the truth. They didn't care about what was right. They just wanted their agenda. And in those moments... The silence is the answer. And I heard one preacher preach a message. It was a great message. He said that one reason Jesus did not answer him is because he had killed John. Another way of saying that is you cannot expect salvation if you have killed repentance. John typifies repentance and, and restoration and, and calling up to God and God forgiving you. And God will work with us if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive. But if you, for, if you kill repentance, if you kill the voice of God in your life, if you assassinate the voice that has spoken so earnestly and contended for the truth, then heaven grows silent above you. And I can't think of a more terrifying proposition than that. So when Herodias feels her grip loosening, she sends her daughters forth. And that is what that Roman church has done throughout the millennia. She spins off a new daughter and she'll spin off another daughter. Some of them have their doctrinal differences. Some of them have their robes. Some of them have their infant baptisms and some of them have their, their, their doctrinal stances. Now that we are getting into more modern times, now they, they mimic speaking in tongues and they have up-tempo services and they, they have their charismata and they have um, their worship that is supposed to be godly, but it lacks the power and the authority of the original church and the consecration that comes with that. There's no difference between the vast majority of them and the world. It's basically a nightclub with Jesus thrown into it. Now there's smoke, now there's fog machines. Now there's disco lights. I'm dating myself. <laughs> Not disco lights, strobe lights, whatever they call them. And, and it's all about 
a fake atmosphere. It's all, and, and be careful with, even with music. Music is there to promote worship and to glorify God and to help us uh, bring in the presence of the Lord through praise and worship. But if it becomes the focus, if it, if it is overwhelming, genuine worship, be careful that you're not falling in love with a dance. If, if the talent and the glitz and the show and the drama if it overwhelms the message, if it takes the focus off of the word of the Lord, God help us. God help us if we can sing like angels and live like devils. God help us if the music program becomes so powerful that they can't pray and they can't consecrate to God. God help us if the, the, the financially well-off become the de facto power within a church because people love money rather than the word of the Lord. There's got to be someone that can see through the dance, that can see through the game, that can see through the drama. John could see through it. Sometimes the price of seeing is death. But I think it was Patrick Henry that made the statement, give me liberty or give me death. I'd rather die in the service of the Lord than to live in service to hell. Or as the writer said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. John could see. We must be able to see. See through what, what the apostle called the cunningly devised fables. I can remember one time I was out knocking on doors. I was witnessing in the community and I ran into another church group who was doing the same. <clears throat> and this young lady walked up to me and she began to contend with me over the scripture. And after just a minute or two, I, I could tell she wasn't versed in the scripture. She was not familiar with it. She just knew the dance that her church had taught her. Just enough to be socially inclusive, just enough to be a nice social movement, just enough to have involvement with the youth group and perhaps a nice choir and some good church activities, but nothing in terms of the word of the Lord. And I, I could ascertain that from my conversation with her. And so I, I, she said, well, what do you, how is a person saved? And I told her John three, five acts two thirty eight. I quoted them and she said, well, I think it's John three sixteen. And I said, I do too. I believe that too. I just know that John 3.16 is preceded 11 verses prior by the fact that one must be born of the water and of the Spirit. And she quoted John 3.16 and I said, do you know where that comes from, where that verse is grounded in the Old Testament? She said, what do you mean the Old Testament? I said, well, read a couple verses before John 3.16. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And I said, do you know that that's from the book of Numbers? And she said, it is? I said, yeah, it's from the book of Numbers. It's where Moses made the brass serpent and, and fashioned it and, and put it on a pole. And whoever looked to it were saved from the poison of the venomous snakes. 
And the way that that's applied is John 3, 5, to be born of the water and to be born of the Spirit. That is looking unto Jesus. And he's a serpent because he was made sin who knew no sin. He was made to be sin who knew no sin. And he became a curse for us. Do you know that? And she, she, you, she did not know that. All she knew was the party line of John three sixteen, And I could see through the dance. I could see through Herodias' daughter, the Romish doctrines that had been spawned into the denominations that this poor young lady was seduced by. And she finally looked at me and she said, are you telling me that I have to be baptized to go to heaven? I said, absolutely. And she said, oh, I don't believe that. I believe that we're justified by faith. I said, oh, I do too. But you need to know what faith is and we are saved by water. She said, are you telling me that water saves me? I took her to 1 Peter 3. And we're doing all this in the road. We're, we're standing in the road and people are around us, gathered around us, watching and her friends that were with her were, were very hostile. I seemed to be, you know, they, they, were, they had a very dim view of, of our interaction. I took it to 1 Peter 3 and we read about how when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing. I love how the old English says that. We're in few. That is, and here it was. I said, could you read this? And she said, wherein eight souls were saved by water. And I said, read that again. Wherein eight souls were saved by water. I said, one more time. And she said, I got it, I got it. Eight souls were saved by water. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Something just rose up inside of me. Eight souls were saved by water. How can a soul be saved by water? Well, it goes on to say the like figure whereunto baptism does also now save us. And it's not the washing of the flesh by water, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's baptism. Baptism washes us and it washes our soul. And I said, absolutely, it saves us. They were saved by water. We are saved by water. That's how baptism saves us today. And she was stunned. She was speechless. As we cut right through the dance. And Acts 2.38 shone through that Old Testament shadow and type of Noah and the ark. That if you want to be saved, you've got to go through the water and the water will bury the wickedness and you will come out on the other side with a brand new start and a new beginning. That's Noah, and that is salvation. I could take the time, and I could go further with that. You know, there was one door on that ark, and there's one door into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I am the door. Not only that, there was one family on that ark, Noah and his wife and his sons and daughters-in-law, and there's going to be one family in this New Testament ark, this good old gospel ship, and it's the family of Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. One door, one family, one name, the name of Jesus. They were baptized unto an Old Testament Savior named Noah. We're baptized unto our New Testament Savior in Jesus.
the like figure whereunto baptism does also now save us. And just like that, you pierce through that false doctrine, that dance. And they might try to kill you for it. They certainly did the apostles. They certainly did the prophets. Maybe it's not going to be physically, but perhaps it will be with their tongue. Maybe they'll assassinate your character. But the word of God is true. It is true. And with all of the pomp and the circumstance, and the Bible describes that pomp as descending into hell. Hell hath enlarged herself and opened up her borders without measure. And all that descend into it with their pomp, their show, their dance. But I'm not impressed with that. John the Baptist's eyes saw through the fog. He saw through the cunningly devised fables. He saw through Herodias and her gimmick. Interesting, and I'll close with this. Um, you'll find out that the ecumenical movement, the joining together of the daughters, all the denominations, they all go back to that Rome, that Roman church. Their Trinitarian foundation is a common theme that binds them together and they, they work against people who believe in numerically one God and they hate the name of Jesus. This is one reason why over and over again in Revelation it says, uh, as, as, as Jesus speaks to the churches of Philadelphia, Thyatira, uh, Smyrna, um, as he speaks to those churches, many of them he says, you have not denied my name. You have kept my name. You have held fast to my name. They loved the name of Jesus, and we love the name of Jesus. We love its application. We love, we love it being active in our lives. And we will stand against the opposition of the mother and her daughters. Herodias' daughter came back to her and they worked together and they colluded and the, the, the response was to kill the voice of the man of God. And that is exactly what denomination does with her mother. They go back to mama. They go back to the Roman church. They band together like a gang and all of those that embrace those Romish doctrines, they collude to kill the voice of God. And before you know it, the church looks nothing like the book of Acts. It looks nothing like the original apostles. If you're going to church, it should look like the first day of Pentecost. If you are calling yourself a Christian, you should look just like Peter, James, and John. You should look like Mary, the mother of Jesus. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. They were baptized in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, and the power of God was upon them. The Bible says great grace was upon them. They would pray until the house was shaken. Church should look like that. People thought they were drunk, and Peter had to say, these are not drunk, as you suppose. But this is what the prophet Joel prophesied, that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And that promise is to you, and it's to your children, and it's to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm not impressed with the dance. I'm not impressed with the dance of religion. 
and the games that they play. I'm not impressed with the televangelists. I'm not impressed with people that put their hands on a screen and pray the prayer over the screen. And I'm not impressed with, send me $20 and I'll send you a handkerchief anointed with the rare olives from the Mount of Olives in Israel. (laughs) God help us. I'm not impressed with that dance. What impresses me is true worship, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, baptism in the great name of Jesus. This is what impresses me. One sinner that repents, now that impresses me. It impresses angels. It impresses God himself. So have eyes to see, have ears to hear, love the word of God, and until next time, God bless you and God keep you. God calls his face to shine upon you.